Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, your host of The Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. As you may know, around here, we love all things transfer pricing. Walk down our halls, and you might find us geeking out over a new transfer pricing regulation or riveted by a smooth marriage of transaction and methodology. Embarrassing, yes, but also true. I mean, would I choose to brag about that? But transfer pricing is the most fascinating when you get to meet professionals who are in the weeds with it. You know, struggling to find perfect comparables for hard-to-value intangibles, worried about the digital service tax, and haunted by the thought of overzealous tax authorities. And when we catch up with them, well, that's when our geek meters go off the charts. That's why we've created a new series on The Fiona Show called The Client, which launches today. Once a month, fingers crossed that is, we're going to talk to transfer pricing executives at multinational companies and see what issues, concerns, and fears with which they're currently grappling. And of course, we're going to get the dirt on what transfer pricing experiences they've had in the past, documentation nightmares, profit allocations, audits, you name it. And by we, I mean myself and Mimi Song, cross-border solutions podcast goddess. And oh yeah, I should probably mention what she goes by around here, chief economist. As you may know, you can earn CPE credits for just listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're going to plant two CPE code words in this episode. Email them both. That's two code words to thefionashow at xbs.ai, and we'll send you your CPE credits. It's that easy. While it may seem a little unorthodox due to privacy issues, we are not able to reveal the full name of today's client or the company he's speaking about. Sorry, but let's face it, you transfer pricing executives out there understand so we're going to refer to him only by his first name alan and we'll call his company digital company x because in fact as you'll hear he will be talking about his transfer pricing concerns for the digital company that employs him still you'll be able to relate to and learn from his experiences in the transfer pricing universe but before we get going with our mystery guest let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news If you're still thinking of the United Arab Emirates as just another beautiful tax haven, it might be time to give the country another look. The UAE recently published its country-by-country country reporting rules, a signal that it's ripe for foreign investment. In terms of content and format, the new rules are consistent with the OECD. Country-by-country country reports should include revenues, profits and losses, income tax paid and payable, declared capital, and, well, we could go on forever, but admit it, you've already stopped listening. Multinationals that earn more than 857 million U.S. dollars in the financial year preceding the reporting year will have to comply, and not doing so means steep penalties. 27,000 U.S. dollars for not producing documents upon request, 27,000 for not submitting documentation according to the UAE's regulations, $270,000 plus $2,700 per day for not submitting the country by country report within months of the deadline and for not notifying authorities as to where it's being filed. Inaccurate information won't do you any favors either. Expect fines ranging from $13,500 to $135,000 U.S. dollars. Good news for anyone confused about Hong Kong's transfer pricing requirements. The country's Inland Revenue Department just published three new DIPNs, a.k.a. Departmental Interpretation and Practice Notes. Confused about transfer pricing compliance? Read DIPN 58, which clears up the mysteries of compliant transfer pricing documentation requirements in Hong Kong by listing 15 examples, 15 of various scenarios in which a taxpayer would be required to submit a country-by-country -country report, a master file, and a local file to the IRD. DIPN 59 talks about the elusive arm's length principle, and DIPN 60 establishes the definition of a permanent establishment in Hong Kong. DIPNs 59 and 60 address penalties. For noncompliance, they are steep, maxing out at three times the undercharged tax. Want to avoid penalties? Read DIPN 58 already. Administrative penalties shouldn't exceed the amount of the undercharged tax. Because as the DIPNs note, transfer pricing isn't an exact science. Now, isn't that the truth? 
You gotta love a country that tries to make transfer pricing easier, and this week that country is Latvia. In a new regulation, number 324, the EU member recently relaxed the transfer pricing standard for low-value-adding intragroup services. Services like accounting, auditing, legal, and personnel management. Sorry, your low-value ads. The upside, you come with a low risk of corporate tax shifting, and so, according to Latvia's Cabinet of Ministers, your transfer pricing documentation requirements need not be so lofty. The regulation applies to low-value ad services that don't exceed 250,000 euros, and it defines the actual services. You don't form part of the core business, you don't require the use of unique and valuable intangible assets, nor do you produce them, and you don't cause or incur any risk blah 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 if you fit the bill you get to follow a pretty straightforward transfer pricing formula the short of it is that you take the costs incurred and add five percent of course there are exclusions research and development manufacturing insurance and reinsurance sales marketing and financial services you're out or to put it a little bit more graciously you add too much value to your group Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. And since there's not much I can say about our guest, Alan, who wishes to remain anonymous or his company, uh, the very, very real and very, very actual uh, digital company X, as we're going to refer to it today, I'm actually going to hand things off to Mimi and you guys can get started. So, Alan, thank you so much for joining us on The Fiona Show. We're really excited to have you here today. Thank you for having me online. Uh, It's our first podcast, so... uh, (laughs) First time for everything, I guess. Well, no worries. I, I promise it won't be, uh, it'll be painless. Uh, less of a challenge than transfer pricing. So <laughs> let's let's find out a little bit about your background. How did you get into transfer pricing? Well, uh, so I joined the company I worked for about four years ago, and um, I've been responsible for transfer pricing ever since. It was just part of the responsibility I picked up. But you know, prior to that, I really didn't have much transfer pricing experience at all. When I worked in public accounting, I had very minimal transfer pricing exposure. I, I knew it was out there, I knew what it was, but didn't really have a lot of experience with it. Um, in fact, I think probably the most relevant experience that I had was from the university, um, and even that was you know, really limited. So, But yeah, you know, I, I, I picked up transfer pricing responsibilities with, um, with the company I'm with now, and I've been doing it for the past four years. Wow, and, and you know, you're lucky because I don't remember learning about transfer pricing in your university at all, so. <laughs> Yeah. It's more so, you know, international tax. So in your current transfer pricing role, um, you do more than just transfer pricing at your current company? I do, yeah. So um, I'm responsible for all international tax managers. So um, everything from compliance, both, you know, local compliance to uh, the U.S. size compliance, um, the, you know, financial reporting, uh, tax research and planning, transfer pricing. It's end-to-end. It's, it's the whole deal. So, wow. yeah, a lot, lot of responsibility. A lot of responsibility. And, and clearly in an evolving landscape because the international tax and transfer pricing space has changed over the past year. So what, what kinds of things have you seen changed? Yeah, well, there's, you know, there's definitely been a lot, of, a lot of changes in the international tax world uh, with tax reform. And we're working through a lot of that, and I think all companies are. Um, it's just been really complicated and really confusing with a lot of the regulations that are being released. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so anyway, working through that. And then on the transfer pricing side, too, I think, um, with BEPS, of course, more jurisdictions are requiring 
master files and local files um, with CBC reporting and, and all of that. It's just becoming a lot more compliant, um, a lot more detailed, I think. A lot, and in many ways, it's a lot more risk because you know you're, you're, we're drilling down and we're we're really discovering where we have might have some weakness or some soft spots. So trying to get all that covered and just really just trying to um, you know cover all our bases because you know the, the risk of getting it wrong can can uh, it's pretty really significant now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a different landscape for sure. So. And and then you know even even beyond these requirements and these these exist those types of challenges, what are what are uh, you know what are other challenges you face at your existing company? Well, um, you know, so our company we uh, we're we're constantly um, we're we're highly acquisitive, so we're we're buying you know com- existing companies, bolting them on. Um, we have a uh, we're implementing a uh, a. Uh, some some uh, tax provision technology at the mm-hmm. moment, so um, we have that implementation going on. On top of that, of course, you know ASD six those six. We're dealing with all these moving pieces, a lot of technology, a lot of changing regulations, um, staff turnover. It's yeah, I mean it's, right. there's a lot going on for sure. Wow. So maybe it's a it's a good time to you know to talk a little bit about you know tell us a little bit about. Your, your company and, and digital company X that we're going to refer to it as. <laughs> and and yeah. tell us what that company does. Okay, great. Yeah, well, so um, we're in the business of selling enterprise resource research planning uh, software. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're a technology company. Um, I like to think of my company as, or our company as a sort of like a legacy technology company. And I say that because we've been around for a while. Uh, that company's been around since the 70s. Uh, we're not a new tech company. We, we try to be a little bit hip and cool like some of the newer tech companies, <laughs> yep. but, yeah, we're definitely not like a Facebook or a Google or like that. We've been around for much longer, and, and so, uh, but, but we, do, um, we do compete well in our space. So, yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a fun place to work. Oh, great. And, and the tax department there, uh, how big is your tax department, and how many staff actually pay attention to transfer pricing? Yeah, so we have about... 12 people in our tax department mm-hmm. and um, that's consisting of uh, a team that we have offshore um, but we have three people that work on transfer pricing it's mostly myself and then uh, two others but I, I try to get more people involved in transfer pricing just to get them some exposure yeah. but I wouldn't say that they work on it as like a like a primary job function or, or it's not really their responsibility right and and this this helps the audience get a sense of okay well what are other companies doing how big are their tax departments because I'm you know people are always curious about that right so how many different uh, locations do you guys have operations entities yeah so we have about forty five CFCs and we're on really every continent except for Antarctica of course <laughs> so uh, we have a global footprint yeah I mean we're we're a pretty decent sized company yep yep. I'm just curious about the company's transfer pricing. I mean, I, you know, for our audience purposes, how complicated is your transfer pricing framework, or or do you think that it's relatively straightforward? Yeah, you know, of course we have some complexity, but I, I would think that we're mostly straightforward. Maybe it's just the way I think about it, though. Um, we have a limited risk distribution model um, where, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we have about 45 um, CFCs, but. Yeah, most of those are distributors. We have a few service centers, um, a few R&D service centers, and some other business support centers. Um, and then, we, of course, we have our IP owners. I'd, I'd say some of the complication is with our R&D centers, um, you know, making sure that we have all that properly documented. And because, um, and, you know, we're doing a lot of R&D outside of the jurisdiction that owns the IP. So, mm-hmm. um, but other than that, you know, our IP to IP sales, um, or excuse me, our um, cross charges for IP is, I think, is fairly straightforward. Okay, and and you were mentioning earlier how your company is is highly acquisitive, right? And so, has that yeah. created a lot, lot of challenges? Usually, you hear when companies acquire other companies, well, they have two different transfer pricing frameworks, and they, you know, how how have you guys been dealing with that? Yeah, actually, so the, the companies that we've been acquiring, they're, uh, they, you know, they don't always have transfer pricing in place. Okay. That's one of the things we need to go in and, and put into place. So, 
Yeah, a lot of it's just is just jumping in and saying, okay, what are the um, you know the functions, risks, and assets of the companies that we're acquiring? How are they going to fit into our? We are highly acquisitive. Uh, actually, has slowed down over the past few years. It's starting to pick up now again. Okay. So, but yeah, I don't I don't think we're having much of a problem with that. Yeah. Well, it might actually be better that they don't have a transfer pricing policy in place so that you can help frame that and structure that for them, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I'm just going to interrupt here with our first CPE code word, and that word is mystery, as in the impact of the digital economy is a mystery for many multinationals. Thank you, Matthew. All right. So then the next question I have here for you, Alan, is whether or not transfer pricing is actually a top priority for your company. Yeah. You know, we, we do consider it to be a, a, a top priority. Um, well, we have competing priorities, mm-hmm. of course. You know, if, you know, if, if it goes up their CFO level and you ask, is transfer pricing a top priority? I, I'm not sure what the answer you might get. But yeah. for me, I consider it a top priority. In the tax department, we consider it a top priority. And, you know, again, you, especially considering some of the, the risks of getting it wrong, you know, with the audit and um, the cost of competent authority. Sure. Um, and you may not even be, you know, you might not be able to amend tax returns. So, Right, and if we could pause because you just mentioned that term. Uh, Fiona, what is the role of the competent authority? To put it quite simply, the role of the competent authority is to resolve transfer pricing disputes through negotiations, not court battles with tax authorities. You can request competent authority assistance to resolve a transfer pricing dispute through negotiations with tax authorities of treaty partner jurisdictions. Right. And, and I mean, the, the real question is almost transfer pricing. I, I feel like when you look back, you know, five, ten years, transfer pricing for some tax departments was a little bit of an afterthought. Has transfer pricing always been on the priority list for your company, or has that increased over the years with, with what's changed in the regulatory environment? Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. It, it is definitely, it has definitely um, increased as a priority. I, okay. I think that it has always been a priority, um, at least going back the past 10 years or so. Again, I, I took over the responsibilities you know, four years ago, and right. I, it's been a priority since I've taken it over. Prior to that, I think it... Uh, I like to think that we've we've stepped up our game a little bit since I've stepped into the position, but you know, the, the truth of the matter is is that yeah, I think it's been a priority for a while. Yep. No, no, I definitely think you've stepped up the game at your company since you've taken over, Alan. I I, I know it's been, it, it the transfer pricing landscape has evolved, right? And so clearly the requirements have evolved, and you you're staying on top of that, and and you know it's not easy, that's for sure. As you look at transfer pricing and, and the implications on a global basis now, right? Can you think of what what particular countries cause you stress or keep you up at night? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, so the thing is, is you know, we're 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 a multinational headquartered out of the U.S. So, and you know, a lot of our um, we're, we're mostly a U.S. company. We again, we have a global footprint. We, but you know, we have most of our IP sourced right here in the U.S. And so we, um, the bigger numbers are here in the U.S. So that the IRS is obviously going to be a, a major concern for us. Um, just making sure we get that right. But um, I, I would say outside of the U.S., you know, we're also looking at Canada. Uh, you know, we know the CRA recently hired um, a significant number of transfer pricing professionals. They're looking to step up their game and. Uh, and we've been through an audit in Canada before, um, so uh, we, we we think about that one a lot. And another one that we look at is um, is is the United Kingdom, and um, some of the intercompany relationships that we have with some of the other media jurisdictions, such as Cyprus. Um, so we we look at we look at some of that, and and yeah, we get we get a little bit nervous sometimes. Right. Right. Well, you know, being that you actually were under audit or your company was under audit in Canada, how long ago was that, actually? And then has that created more issues, going, uh, you know, after that audit closed or or were you guys able to settle that? Like, how'd that yeah. go? Yeah. So actually, it went it went well. Um, okay. It was I'm trying to remember now. I, I want to say that it was um, the audit was a couple of years ago. It was. Um, <clears throat> And uh, it, it went well. We, we we made it through without additional assessment. You know, it was we were, um, but it was a lengthy audit. You know, it, it lasted about nine months or so. A lot of back and wow. forth. And um, 
you know, um, I, I got to tell you, Mimi, I, I left that audit whenever the auditor said that, you know, he was, you know, they were going to close up the book, um, close the folder on us, I guess you might say. Mm-hmm. I, I never really, I didn't really get the feeling like they were done, <laughs> you know, but just that they were going to go away for a little while. But, yeah. they, you know, yeah. they, they might come back in a few years and reopen that folder and make sure that, you know, we're just going to tell the same story. So, yeah. um, you know, we, we created a file on our side to, you know, just document every, all the communications. And, you know, to make sure that our story, because, you know, we just want to make sure that our story, you know, because it doesn't really change that much, right? I mean, the, the economics or business didn't change that much. So we just want to make sure that we have everything, um, you know, written up and documented so that we're prepared on our side as well. Yep, ab- absolutely. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. If we could pause right there a moment. Fiona, let's look at that. How has Canada increased its resources in terms of transfer pricing? The CRA hired an additional 100 auditors to conduct transfer pricing examinations in 2017. The average transfer pricing penalty has increased from 3.4 million Canadian dollars in 2012 to 15.9 million US dollars in 2017. And, and you know, one of the reasons why that auditor potentially what is is keeping an eye on your company is because as a technology company you guys have a lot of ip intangible property right yeah and yeah how, yeah definitely how are you guys dealing with ip i mean do you guys have it all centralized under the typical cost sharing arrangement or how are you guys um, dealing with ip as it exists today yeah, well, we, we just have a, a royalty cross charge. You know, our IP owners we have, um, we have four of them that, you know, the, again, the, the largest is in the U.S. But we do have IP out of Canada as well. And so um, we have a cross charge between Canada and the U.S. where, um, you know, it, it's just a, a royalty relationship, basically. So, um, but again, you know, and it has made it through audit and, and it's deemed that we're, um, you know, the economics of the business are reflected in our transfer pricing. So. We should be fine. It's it's just a matter of making sure that, you know, our stories stay consistent and we have our documentation in place. And, Alan, if I can uh, cut in, because I'm a little curious on this front, with that experience that you had with the Canadian audit, did that impact the way that you handle transfer pricing anywhere else in your global footprint? Yeah, well, I mean, one thing definitely is that, um, we again, the, the audit took about nine months. Um, from the date that we received our um, initial request for documentation, and so, um, and we, we uh, there were quite a significant number, of, you know, back and forth. It was a lengthy process. It took a lot of time uh, to make it through this, and it was nice to make it through without assessment. But you know, you have to understand that there was certainly like a a cost of, of my time and some of the staff's time, and and a lot of and, and just other other kind of costs. So. You know, going through that and, and, and realizing the level of documentation, um, the level of detail that the, the auditor went through, they, you know, they, they went through our entire GL and scrubbed it all down. And um, a lot of, and again, just thought of documented the file. And, and again, like I said, I never really got comfortable that they just were really done, but just more that they were just going to kind of close that chapter and they're going to reopen it maybe in a few years, potentially. I don't know. But um, yeah, you know, from my perspective, um, it, it, it definitely made us a little aware of, okay, we need to, you know, sort of the bare minimum, I guess, would say is is to have, you know, local file and master file in place. That's really like the bare minimum. You know, we, we do reconciliations. We're, um, you know, ticking and tying, just putting more SOX controls into place. 
just you know, doing as much as we can to make sure that we're prepared and, and ready whenever that otter comes back. Right. Getting documentation in order is always a good place to start. But before we move on, I'm going to announce our next CPE code word. And that word is software, as in software companies will greatly be affected by the digital economy. And back to you guys. So... Alan, besides Canada, have you guys actually been audited in other parts of the world, in any other countries around the world yet? Well, thankfully, no. Okay. And uh, and and and, and I'm hoping I'm hoping we don't uh, have an audit anytime soon. We have a safe harbor in in India. Um, so hopefully that had, provides us some protection there. You know what? We, we have had an audit. It was in Australia, but this was back in um, I want to say it was 2010, certainly before I was here. So. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, there was an audit, and, and that was quite significant. It, it did result in an assessment, and that one required um, going through competent authority. Wow. And um, after that, there was uh, an APA put into place and that sort of thing. So, yeah, but that was before I was here. Right. But. Right, right. Ancient history in the tax world, of course. And just because you mentioned this term in your last response, Alan, I want to ask Fiona. Fiona, what is a safe harbor? A safe harbor provision dictates a minimum return or price for a specified list of intra-group transactions, which if followed by the taxpayer, will be accepted without issue by the tax authority. An example might be a minimum return of 15 or 16 percent on total operating costs for a software developer. You know, as a result of that audit, it could be that your company then started focusing on transfer pricing as a real issue. Would you say that that might have been the catalyst? Yeah, absolutely, definitely. I actually, you know, when it, when it comes to audits and things of that nature, I was going to ask, for your Canadian audit, did you guys have documentation in place, and did you guys use that as your first line of defense? We did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we had documentation in place, and we used it as our first line of, of defense. Okay. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that um, that was helpful for sure. Um, when you have your transfer pricing documentation in place, it, um, of course, it provides penalty protection. But I think that it, it, it shows a level of good faith, and I think that can go a long way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's just a first line of defense, as you say. You know, you, you have to be ready because uh, the, auditor, the, the, the auditor will not stop at just asking for your transfer pricing documentation, meaning like your local file. Mm-hmm. Uh, your mm-hmm. auditor will ask for more than that. Um, like I said, so we, we went all the way down to, you know, pulling the full ledger for every account. And this was, and for our Canada, it was, it, was a, it was a pretty substantial file. Wow. Um, so, yeah. And so they went through every single journal entry for every single account. And it was, I thought, wow. Painful. They really <laughs> spent a lot of time on this. And then, and then, and then there was no assessment. And I thought, wow. oh, my God. They spent a lot of time because I thought for sure that the number of hours they spent that they were going to need something to show for it, right. and so I thought, oh man, yeah, this is quite a miracle that we got out of this one. That that that's great. I, I, you're you're right. Usually, you know, I feel like there's always this correlation between how much a tax auditor, how much time a tax auditor spends on your audit, and how much your tax assessment will be at the end of the audit, right? So. <laughs> Yeah, you guys, you guys, you know, came out relatively unscathed, which is great. As as a software company, um, I'm curious, are you guys concerned about the digital services tax or the work that's being performed on the digital economy for by the OECD right now? <laughs> you know, we're kind of digging our head in the sand on this one. <laughs> we, uh, we really shouldn't be, though. Um, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, and again, we have, you know, with, with tax reform going on, we have a software implementation. We have just so many things going on that it, it's difficult to address every single um, item that's, that's, you know, sort of on the board. But the one thing about digital services taxes, um, I know this is big in Europe at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, yeah, we're being a little bit reactive on this one. We're mostly a U.S. business, so we don't see this being a, a major um, item in the U.S. right away. Okay. So um, that's where we're at on the yeah. digital service. When it comes to uh, R and D, right? Clearly, your digital, your your as a software company, you guys are investing in in research and development. The jurisdictions where you actually do a lot of research and development or, or software development, things of that nature, are they? Did you guys specifically target countries that have R and D incentives? In a few instances, yes. 
you know, so we have a tax holiday in India, for example. Um, so that that's nice. And then uh, we have another. Uh, we we do have IP in Cyprus that has an R and D incentive. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily that we targeted these jurisdictions for the R and D incentive, but okay. more just. We're taking advantage of it because it's already there. In a lot of these situations, as a business and from a business decision perspective, were these countries they, they these countries naturally had uh, were already in existence, perhaps through your acquisitions? Is that is that how yeah. they came up to be, or based on technical expertise? Yeah, the technical expertise in India for sure. Yeah. The um, a lot of our um, European and and, and APAC uh, operations were through through an acquisition, and so that structure was already in place. Another question I had, Alan, for you: What kind of challenges do you face? You know, what kind of transfer pricing challenges do you actually face when you guys are acquiring companies or going through these M and A activities? Yeah, well, you know, one thing that we look at is. Well, I'll give you an example. We, we acquired a company that we had um, that was a, a third party. Um, we, we were already uh, using their IP, but as a third party, so we were you know, providing a royalty on that, the third party. So whenever we acquired that company, um, it, it made sense to just go ahead and, um, and, and continue with that, with that royalty as opposed to our more traditional royalty we have in place. So I, I think with, with each um, acquisition, it's a little bit different. We acquired a company that had um, a permanent establishment in Canada, but had, didn't have transfer pricing at the time, so they had some, uh, some special issues going on. Uh, so anyway, each one is a little bit different. And so with each one, it's, it's understanding you know, what is the business, you know, where do they have permanent establishment, um, are they... You know, do they have transfer pricing established already? Are they filing tax returns? Each one can be different. And I'd say a lot of the times too, we 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 acquire companies that are um, you know might just be domestic, and and it may not be a multinational business. So that makes it much easier too, right? We just go ahead and and roll that up into our U.S. consolidation and sort of put it into the machine, you know, yep. uh, for our transfer pricing. So, but each one is a little bit different. And, and, and at what point does the transfer pricing team or even the tax team just generally, um, at what point are they sort of tagged in to do this level of due diligence, right, with these acquisitions? Are you guys always, you know, after the fact and they say, here you go, we got a new company? Yeah, so there, there are a team of us that's, um, that they, they get pulled in any time a deal is in place. Mm-hmm. We have uh, we have one person that's designated for that, and um, this person will jump in right away. Um, that's not me, but uh, this person will jump in right away as soon as a deal is potentially on the table to start doing diligence. Okay. And um, and then some of us that are in the know, like myself, we we, we understand, and, and then we start getting questions, and so uh, we don't have all the details, but we'll start you know pulling facts, and um, it's sort of kind of on a need-to-know basis for most of us. And before we head into our rapid-fire round for today's show, everyone, it's Matt from the future, at least compared to when this episode first aired anyway, giving you a special edition excerpt from a future episode. Today's episode brought up acquisitions, and we want to bring a bit more context to how that works in transfer pricing. Here's an excerpt from episode 23 with Clay Ayers, who leads the tax department at K2M, a medical device company in the Washington, D.C. area. At the time we recorded this interview, Clay was developing and implementing tax strategies for entities all over the world and just happened to be overseeing transfer pricing through the company's acquisition. Before K2M, Clay worked in tax departments at Serco, Watson Wyatt, in web methods, tackling worldwide compliance, global tax strategies strategies and implementing systems and procedures with tax planning. So Clay speaks from that experience as well, even if he discusses the specifics of acquisitions and transfer pricing in the following clip from the perspective of the company acquired. Anyway, enjoy that enhanced perspective. Clay, I understand that K2M is in the process of being bought and you're helping to transition the transfer pricing. That's right. Well, in that case, let's talk about transfer pricing during a merger or acquisition. Fiona, what specific transfer pricing issues need consideration when two companies are joining their transfer pricing? Well, Matt, there are quite a few things to consider. The integration of intangibles, for example, can result in a complicated web of intercompany agreements. Inherited transfer pricing structures may no longer work. Changes in the business could mean changes in the TP policy. 
there are operational obstacles to consider, as well. If the TP processes are managed differently inside the two groups, then it could create inefficiencies and even add risk. Obviously, the group's compliance responsibilities are going to increase, as well. So, uh, K2M, technically K2M has, has already been purchased. So, K2M was purchased by a large competitor of, of ours uh, called Stryker, the Stryker Corporation. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're well-known, very, very strong, very, very well-run uh, uh, company that uh, has various different divisions, uh, one of which was Spine, uh, which we fit in very, very well in their overall jigsaw puzzle because we had a lot of very new innovative products, for instance, 3D printing and titanium for these, um, uh, for these medical devices that work much better in the body than the old historical alloys uh, that were machined. Um, things like that, that Stryker as a very, very large company, $15 billion in revenue, um, thousands of employees, you know, they can't turn quite as quickly as a $300 million firm that has all of its R&D in one place, right? So mm-hmm. we were a, 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 an interesting target for them. Uh, and um, and, and uh, as far as transfer pricing is concerned, you know, the, the, the term or the, the topic of transfer pricing was, was hot and, and very um, at the, the, the top of, of a lot of uh, people's uh, concerns uh, during mm-hmm. the due diligence process. You know, they didn't know us as well um, as they do today, obviously. They had no idea how our transfer pricing policies were working, what methodologies we used, whether those would blend or merge or work well with, with what they're already doing in those jurisdictions that, they, that we overlap with them. For instance, they have operations in, in Milan just like we did. Um, mm-hmm. They had audits in Milan just like we did. Uh, were their results the same as our results? Uh, were our methods used the same as theirs? If not, you have some reconciliation to do, right? You have to choose which one's going to win going forward. Um, and, you know, in all the jurisdictions that we had, um, you know, boots on the ground, they also had boots on the ground, but they were much more mature than we were. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that cut both ways. Sometimes having being mature and having lots of experience um, uh, may not be the best answer. It may be nicer to kind of start with a clean slate. For instance, in Spain, um, we had never been audited, uh, whereas they had been audited over and over and over again. Another jurisdiction that's very, very aggressive on their you know, transfer pricing audit um, activities. Mm-hmm. And so um, at the end of the day, management sits down and decides which, which, uh, which direction they're going to go and whether in which of the uh, the companies historically uh, utilized practices are going to win over and go and go forward as as being the you know practice of choice. Uh, that said, very very quickly, it takes a lot of coordination and a lot of understanding of both businesses, um, and you know so that's that's why I am still with the company and and uh, on a consulting basis and assisting them with the. The integration of, of some of that and everything else, because my tax department is responsible for everything that has TAX on it, uh, whereas we're working with people that are very specialized either in transfer pricing or VAT or mm-hmm. U.S. corporate income tax, things like that. Right. In your opinion, what are some key aspects that you have to manage in the merge of two transfer pricing departments or two tax departments? Well. I think the key aspect is uh, methodologies, um, determining whether you know we are producing and selling a product the same way and, and have a mirror um, of, of business risks uh, in the K2M business as, say, the Stryker business did. Mm-hmm. Um, in some instances, Stryker was manufacturing uh, their products outside the United States where the where K2M was manufacturing the products in the U.S. And so we were using a distributor um, uh, model to get those, those products to the customer. And, um, and, and maybe Stryker would be, in some, in some instances, not actually distributing, but selling directly from the manufacturer to the, to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So understanding, again, kind of back to where 
I first started off uh, explaining what was interesting about transfer pricing is getting to understand what's actually going on on the ground and not quickly assuming that just because they have common names and they're selling common products that they're actually being uh, sold the same way. Mm -hmm. uh, so. I think that's probably the largest. And then, you know, merging and, and preparing for that, uh, that, that next chapter where K2M and, and, uh, and Stryker, for in this instance, are, are one company now. New intercompany agreements need to be put in place. Maybe cost-sharing arrangements need to be put in place. Um, those types of things, uh, mm -hmm. those are all important as well. Mm-hmm. agree, yes. Um, let's let's talk about the due diligence period in terms of a merge. How long does that last? Um, what was that time like for you? Um, so we have been in that integration phase for nine months, and things are going well, but the regular day-to-day -day things have to go on as well. So, you know, the corporate federal income tax returns, the state income tax returns, all your day-to-day -day or month-to-month -month filings and those types of things have gone on. On top of that, you've got this integration team that is reporting up to upper management team uh, as to how these businesses are coming together. The whole reason that Stryker wanted to purchase K2M is for the synergies, the cost savings opportunities mm -hmm. and synergies there. And so you, you don't reach those those peak synergies until the companies are actually merged and actually brought together. And before you bring two entities together, uh, you, you got to make sure that things like the accounting, the revenue recognition, the transfer pricing, you know, the, the compliance and all that are ready to turn on as a merged uh, company. So uh, I would imagine this is going to continue to trickle on for easily another year. Um, does managing a transfer pricing merge shift your priorities in any way? Yeah, well, they do because, number one, where it's coming down from, right? The, your direction and your control is coming down from the upper management team saying, we need this done, and if transfer pricing is the thing that hasn't been ticked off and signed off as, as being completed, you've got that stress uh, <laughs> to get it done. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're also doing audits and you're trying to settle audits and you don't want to merge the two Italian entities until you have a settlement on this, this last round of audit, you're trying to push you know, the, the auditors to be as quick as, as they possibly can. Sometimes you know, they've been uh, understanding of that, um, and it helped that in this Italian example that they had already done uh, two years of auditing uh, roughly a year and a half ago or so. Uh, some of it was a little more familiar. At least they had the prior work papers, and so you could push it, you know, to the front of the line. But everyone wants their, you know, as, mm -hmm. I, as I explained earlier, Stryker being a large company with different divisions within their tax department, each one of those division heads wants their particular uh, specialty to be done fast, right, and to be done quickly. Um, and Yeah, so you're always managing time. Clay, when we interview transfer pricing professionals on the show and at our summits, we hear that transfer pricing is a big priority for the tax department, but not necessarily the company overall. And I'm wondering if that changes during a merge. Does transfer pricing move up in the priority list to the front of the line as a holistic concern for management on down at that right. point? Um, well. I can tell you, you get no free pass, and you don't get to butt in front of the line with transfer <laughs> pricing. Um, and unless you're a squeaky wheel, right? right. And so, you know, I've got a few years under my belt, and I've learned the hard way. You know, if you're not squeaky enough, you don't get the oil. So um, that's you know, funny. I, I put transfer pricing ahead because I appreciate how much work goes into it, and I've you know, live through the two-year process of, of, of only one small audit from a small country like Italy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, and so I'm fearful of all of the 10 or 12 different jurisdictions that could all rush together at one time once they hear that Stryker has purchased K2M. You know, that was what I was fearful of, is that, oh, goodness, if our intercompany transactions were large enough for us to get to land on the radar of the tax jurisdiction in Milan, um, I can't imagine, you know, what these other countries may think when they hear or read that K2M was purchased by Stryker, a $15 billion dollar company. Sorry. That looks like deep 
rich pockets, right? And yes. so they may just fly in and say, look, before you complete your merger or go forward and do anything else locally, we want to you know, audit your books, make sure the transfer pricing is, is proper, and uh, make any adjustments that are necessary before we'll approve you of restructuring or reorganizing or, or what have you. And so, you know, I just brought those fears to uh, the top with the management team um, and let them know that this is real stuff. Uh, we have a history with Italy of being very difficult to get through, and it's not quick and easy. And so we should probably put this at the top priority of our due diligence because I see transfer pricing being more complicated than income tax audits. Income mm -hmm. tax audits, you've got the documentation. It really doesn't uh, tangentially uh, you know, go off in, in different directions without you know, any guidance like this last audit kind of did. And transfer pricing is one of those things that not a lot of people understand and not a lot of people appreciate. So it usually falls to the tax folks to you know, just take care of it, right? Mm-hmm. What strategies, if any, do you use to align the, to transfer pricing departments? How, how do you get two companies on the same page, not only in terms of compliance, but also in terms of how much of a priority transfer pricing will be for the expanded company? So in, in, in this particular merger, it, it has been better than it could have been. Uh, because Stryker is large and because Stryker has also live through the same types of stories that I've told you today, they're very aware of what this all can be. And they have a department specifically focused on transfer pricing. They have people in, in mm -hmm. a group or a department that only deal with transfer pricing. And so it was simpler, uh, in my mind, for me to directly communicate and, and, and coordinate with them because this was a high priority for them, obviously. Mm -hmm. I have been in other mergers uh, in, in prior lives of mine where they didn't have a tax department that was as sophisticated. And so, you know, you're constantly trying to uh, figure out, okay, which one comes first? What do we address today? Um, and it's usually the stuff that is immediately you know, needed, whether it's a deadline for an income tax return or a deadline for a sales tax, you know, audit or whatever, you know, transfer pricing or anything else can kind of fall to the wayside. Here, it was a lot, a lot more uh, congenial and a lot easier to come to agreement as to what the game plan was going to be, how we were going to make sure that, that the two companies were uh, in line with each other and picking uh, you know, what the future was going to be for, you know, transfer pricing uh, documentation. What kinds of things did you have to look at in terms of transfer pricing documentation? The transfer pricing group at Stryker uh, reviewed all of our transfer pricing studies, came back with questions. At the end of the day, they're making the end call because with the, the seller and not the buyer. So mm -hmm. they, uh, they had the final say in, into what went where and and, uh, and what changed, if anything. We were there to explain why we did things the way we did things and anything else that, that, that they may have questions around as opposed to making final decisions on uh, which direction the new company would go. And what about intercompany agreements or TP policy? How are they affected? Uh, all the intercompany agreements had to be changed eventually. Well, taking a couple steps back, the two companies merged because they're looking for synergies. And the synergies are gonna come in cost savings. And that means that fewer people are gonna be left to do the same amount of work in, in the future, right? So first they have to figure out who's gonna stay and who's gonna go. Then they have to figure out how the, the local subsidiaries are going to merge. Uh, as a result of that, they are gonna have to figure out how the accounting, how the you know, tax, how the transfer pricing, all those types of things are going to change. Knowing those those facts uh, and factors, you know, is how you come up with your game plan. What about technology in the tax department? Are both companies on the same page with using technology as a solution, as a tool? I would say no. I, I would say that they, as sort of a practice, it was noticeable that Stryker outsourced a, a lot of the compliance whereas K2M used both cross-border solutions 
and uh, some smaller uh, boutique firms in, in the local countries where we didn't have the, uh, the materiality to put our fingerprints on it ourselves, for instance, like a, a small jurisdiction like Puerto Rico. So we had kind of a combination of things, combination approach uh, to how we met the documentation requirements um, at the local level, whereas Stryker used one of the big four firms to pretty much do it all do all the documentation, they would probably get the information requests uh, together, submit those to the striker team. The striker team would, you know, get that stuff pulled together, review the review the uh, files, and sign off on, on the uh, on, on the work. Uh, whereas we were uh, picking and choosing which which jurisdictions we had time and, and bandwidth to approach based on the materiality of of the of the business in that particular jurisdiction. And before we wrap up, I want to ask, with your 25 years of experience in the industry, what do you feel like you've learned in this merge acquisition experience, Clay, uh, about transfer pricing that increased the breadth of your knowledge and experience in this area? Maybe something you feel like you didn't know uh, or understood before. I think you know purely from a transfer pricing perspective, uh, you know. I think I, I learned that uh, in a larger company, a company the size of Stryker, um, they get away with a lot more um, uh, cookie cutter type of uh, approach where they, they've learned or they've decided that you know they're going to take one method and they're going to apply it to every single business that they possibly can and whether it's surgically right or wrong, they're going to uh, ignore, you know, the, the 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 potential exposure on the margins. Whereas in a company the size of mine, 300 million in, in revenue today, but you know when we started the first transfer pricing analysis for K2N, the company was only 100, 150 million at, at the most. But we were rushing to get our transfer pricing. Uh, you know, in in place before we you know landed on some jurisdictions uh, you know radar and and got caught you know empty-handed. So um, because the company is much smaller and our department and our focus is much you know narrower, we put a lot of effort into getting every T crossed and every I dotted, and I think that's important for a smaller company. Um, as we saw in, in the Italian audit, because the volume of transactions is more limited than it would be with a larger company, they were able to drill down and ask for invoice details. You know, they had time to drill down and look at our comparables and, and make you know, decisions as to whether they liked that company or didn't like that company. And, um, and we had our ducks well in a row. But they still struggled to find things that were wrong. And and like I said earlier, they ended up just throwing out some of our comparables, which changed, you know, uh, some things, but not materially. They got some tax from us, Mm -hmm. um, but that was because we were willing to settle and not willing to take this to an appellate level or something. And I think technically we were right uh, from an OECD perspective, but at the end of the day, you know, the OECD isn't sitting on your side of the table helping you argue. Uh, you're arguing mm-hmm. with, you know, some local tax authority who has a whole different agenda than you may be accustomed to. So that was a little eye-opening to me. I, I was a little surprised that, at how much risk that the larger companies leave in the margins and kind of cookie-cutter from one to another uh, as much as they possibly can. Um, and, you know, if you step back and think about it, that's because there's only so many resources and they just prefer that if they come under a hard audit, then they'll throw the professional services at it to beat down, you know, the, the tax authorities in that area and settle on something, I guess, and move on. Whereas a smaller company like ours, the thought of having a, a transfer pricing adjustment was just, you know, 
I don't, I don't mean scary, but you know, it, it was almost like embarrassing. I, I don't want that. That's interesting. So the bigger company looks at it as the price of doing business in that case. That's right. That's yeah. a good way to put it. Yep. Note to multinational companies everywhere. If you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right. Your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant. But then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, Big Four. We've got the answer. Cross-Border Solutions AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai tp. That's xbs.ai tp. And I'm actually just going to interrupt here. Want to thank you, Alan, for a great conversation. Transfer pricing really registers when you listen to that professional first-person experience. So I want to thank you for sharing. And fortunately, we still have time for my favorite segment on the show, which is called What We Want to Know, our rapid fire round of questions about a specific transfer pricing uh, professional. And that professional today is you. Here's how it works. We're going to put... You, Alan, our mystery guest in the hot seat, and ask you some questions in a whirlwind round. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Excellent. So here we go. What do you wish you knew when you started your career? Um, you know, I, I started my career, I, I think that it, it's just important to be consistent. It's a long career. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So, um, yeah, just, just a set, a, set a steady pace and uh, be consistent. Indeed. And your best method for coping with work stress? Well, I like to go to the gym or, or sometimes walk around or building, do something outside. Just get away from the desk. Staring at the screen sometimes, I, I just, I think this isn't the most productive. Sometimes getting up, walking around, you know, breathing, and then get back to it in 15 or 20 minutes. Name a management strategy that you use every day. I like to trust and, and empower uh, people I work with. I try and find what each individual does well and, and try to find opportunities to you know, work in that space. Now, obviously, you know, that's not always possible, you know, um, but we, we, we need to trust our people and, uh, and empower them and to make, make decisions. And what do you think is a skill that every transfer pricing professional needs to have in 2019? Research skills are important uh, and the ability to adapt. You know, I, I think we talked about earlier, too, the, the level of transparency is, you know, I think creating a space for you know, more complex rules in transfer pricing. And um, so being on the front end of that and embracing the, the change and researching to, um, you know, to you know, create those skills, I think is super important. Of course. And what's the biggest misconception about transfer pricing? You know, well, I'm actually not really sure what other people think about transfer pricing, but you know, I think it's fun. I think it's an opportunity, and again, we talked about this earlier too, I think, but it's an opportunity as a tax professional you know, to step out of the tax world and into sort of the economic space and, and learn more about your company. And so, yeah, I think it's fun. So the biggest misconception is that transfer pricing is boring. Ha, <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> I think it's definitely not. I think, I think, it's, I think it's a lot of fun. We try to have the most fun we can here at Cross Border. Uh, and lastly, best advice you can offer fellow transfer pricing professionals? Yeah, you know, be willing to adapt and, and research and understand the risk. I, you know, unfortunately, the, the risk of getting your transfer pricing wrong can, can lead to some pretty big issues, I think. You know, with, uh, my goodness, it's, just, it's scary sometimes to think about, you know, financial audit and potential restatements and, you know, you know, with a statutory audit, you can end up with penalties and that sort of thing. But um, at the end of the day, I, I think that's why you have to have, you know, all your bases covered. 
with your intercompany agreements, master files, and local files, and have all your documentation together, and you know, just make sure at the end of the day that you execute. Um, you know, having SOX controls in place is important, and um, all this on top of uh, all the rest of the tax responsibilities to it. It makes it for a lot of fun, but very complicated too. And, and again, like I said, it it's uh, it's it's it, it can be a little bit risky, I think, and so just making sure that you're on top of your game as we all try our best to stay on top of our game. Now, is it just me, or was that conversation ridiculously interesting? Thank you so much for being here with us today, everyone. Always great to have you on the Fiona Show, Mimi. Listeners, ready to learn more about transfer pricing? Subscribe to the Fiona Show on iTunes or Spotify, and there's no point in learning about transfer pricing if you're not going to keep up with the news. We can help you with that. Subscribe to our sister podcast, The Fiona Show, hot off the press, and we'll fill you in on all those new regular updates, decrees, resolutions, and spoiler alert, we might even name the companies who aren't abiding by them. This podcast is edited, engineered, and co-hosted by yours truly, Matthew DeMello. Marilyn Mitchum-Strom is our executive producer and writes our scripts. Until next time, have a great week.